1: Bucky Brooks joins us today. Hello, Bucky. How are you? I'm
2: doing well. What's going
1: on, guys? Well, we got to figure this out because, as you know, in Indianapolis for about five plus years, this has been a quarterback-starved location around the NFL, uh, like really nobody's business here. And every time a quarterback comes onto the market or there's their thoughts of availability, uh, normally we get kind of bum-rushed to talking about it, and Lamar Jackson certainly takes the cake for that. Uh, Where do we begin with this A calculated maneuver, to say the least, via social media this Morning, from his standpoint, Bucky?
2: Very calculated because what it did is not only created the conversation uh, that we're having about Lamar Jackson and those things, it let it be known that, oh, he put it out there that he wanted to be gone. And so while we on the outside, like, because everyone likes to fancy themselves as a GM and, oh, it's such a smart move by the Ravens, non exclusive tag, they can get him at $32 million, yada, 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 there's a real person that wears that helmet. And so now what you've done is you've made it a situation where do you want the player or not? Because there's a part of the negotiation where, yes, you want to get it at the right figure, but at some point you have to make a decision. Do you want Lamar Jackson or do you want to move on from him? And if you want to move on from him, how much are you willing to move on from him for? And so Lamar Jackson said, look, I don't want to play for you. You don't value me. You don't appreciate me. Cool. I will go somewhere when I'm valued. That was a signal from him to the rest of the league hey, man, I'm done with this. I'm willing to maybe sit out uh, the season because I want to be gone. I want to be in a better situation for myself.
1: He is. Bucky Brooks of the NFL Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Who has played this tune better than the other to this point? Eric DaCosta running the things for the Ravens organization or Lamar Jackson himself? I mean,
2: it's been horrible, like from the Ravens standpoint. I mean, let's look around the league and let's see how many MVP quarterbacks have not – gotten their money with, with while having to do franchise tax and that. Man, that's a bad look on the Baltimore Ravens. Josh Allen got his deal done uh, a few years ago, and the range of quarterback money was 43 to $45 million. Why the Baltimore Ravens refused to do that deal then does not make sense to me. And so now you've let it get to this point where the quarterback market never goes down. And so they just should have paid it a couple years ago because those deals would have been surpassed. Well, now what you run the risk of is even if he waits and eventually comes to do the franchise tag, well, the deals of Justin Hurst, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts, those will hit the books. And those are not going to hit the books for any less than the $43 or $45 million that Josh Allen signed. You're probably looking at closer to $50 million. So by delaying the inevitable. They kind of
1: drove up the price. They should have got these done a while ago. So, Bucky Brooks of the NFL Network with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Podline. I do want to dive into some of the rookie quarterbacks coming out of their pro days and such in just a second. But what are your percentages right now where Lamar Jackson plays football? If you were guessing, throwing a dart at a dart board, any of that, where he plays football coming up in 2023.
2: Well, I think if he's shrewd, I think he plays. I think if he wanted to, he could take it up to the day before the regular season, sign the tag, and get the money. You know what I'm saying? Like, so he has a few different ways that he wants to approach it. I think he plays football this year, but I think he makes it very, very uncomfortable for the Baltimore Ravens because if he doesn't go to OTAs, he doesn't um, do any of the offseason stuff, any of the training camp work with a new offensive coordinator and a bunch of new pieces, he automatically has derailed their season. So what is it that you're trying to accomplish with the Baltimore Ravens? Is it winning the negotiation or winning the game? So, ultimately, the leverage goes back to Lamar Jackson.
1: Do you think what we saw today with, again, this calculated maneuver via social media, do we we see some general managers and, you know, maybe, for example, a guy like Chris Ballard, maybe owner Jim Irsay, do we see a, a higher level of interest peaked by what we found out today at all, in your opinion?
2: Well, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's more conjecture, right? It's more the conversation that he's creating pressure in the media on the Ravens, more so than real pressure in terms of general managers inquiring. Any general manager working they've already kind of figured out, like, hey, what do the Baltimore Ravens want? Like, is it really like the two number ones? What does Lamar Jackson want? Because they can talk to him directly. The thing about the Colts, um, the Colts have to kind of weigh, where are we going to get our quarterback from? And so if this, um, hey, we're not going to get one of the top two guys, it's Lamar Jackson versus Anthony Richardson and Will Levis knowing that we got to pay Lamar Jackson. Which one do you want? Do you want the one that we've seen playing the pros, we've seen being an MVP level, or do you want what's behind door number two? That's the conversation, that's the dilemma, that's the debate that Chris Ballard is having with his staff.
1: The amount of money, what you'd have to give up, and where do you factor in... At least ending the past two years for Lamar Jackson, his lack of availability, you know, the tread off the tire, so to speak. What does that factor in as far as, again, hypothetically, Bucky, if you were to end up or get interest from someplace else and that be legit, where would you factor in that availability that hasn't been there at the end of the past two seasons?
2: I guess I would factor in the same way that I factored in Joe Burrow tearing his ACL. Would that prevent you from paying Joe Burrow? He tore his ACL in this part of a year but he came back the following year and led the team to the Super Bowl. I mean, look, it's a part of it. Anyone who plays quarterback, you run the risk of getting hurt, whether you play outside the pocket or inside the pocket. To me, I think it's really a non-factor when it comes into it. Jimmy Garoppolo just got paid from the Las Vegas Raiders. He ain't played a full season in like the last three years. Um, It's one of those things that we like to talk about, but at the end of the day, you judge by how you play. And When he's played, he's been one of the rarest, Quarterback that we've seen in the National Football League, and so you got to pay him what he's worth, and so that can be a consideration as part of the negotiation. But it shouldn't be the sticking point from bringing a quarterback that is played at MVP level and has a forty-five and sixteen record as a starter.
1: Hey, Bucky, we've been running a lot of hypotheticals together around here, and I'll give you my my draft angle in just a second. But one regarding Lamar Jackson, which you know, obviously, I don't think anybody thinks is a direct possibility, but one of those hypotheticals is. Boy, how would he work with a guy like Shane Steichen in year number one, who did so well as the offensive coordinator for Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia? I I mean, is there a legit reason to have peak interest if you're a Colts fan in all that is going on with Lamar Jackson right now?
2: Lamar Jackson, this is not being disrespectful. Lamar Jackson is a much better player than Jalen Hurts, right? And we saw the way that Jalen Hurts performed and how well he played for the Philadelphia Eagles. So if you have an opportunity to get a better player, a player who is formed at a high level and you can do the same stuff, like you should jump on that. Also, when you think about like what we're talking about, because I, I look, I come from the draft world where we love picks, but how many times can we turn those picks into players? Like in this draft, in particular when you only have like maybe 15 to 18 guys that are really first round picks, man, you give up that number four pick overall to take a player that you've seen play at a high level. So to me, um, yeah, Shane Steichen can absolutely look at Lamar Jackson and see what he does. And also, just know this, the way Lamar Jackson played in Baltimore isn't the only way that he can play. If anybody looked at the film from when he was at Louisville and he threw for 7,100 yards and ran for like 3,500 uh, and scored like a almost 100 touchdowns, he can play a bunch of different ways. We just have him kind of boxed in thinking that the only way he can play is the way the Baltimore Ravens used him.
1: Well, and again, Bucky Brooks joins us from the NFL Network on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. My thought, because I heard this back in October, I mean, it was such a clown show here. We started talking about possibilities at quarterback, you know, basically before Halloween a year ago. And the name that I continued to hear was Will Levis. And you look at the numbers. And that kind of turned some folks off. Now, again, you can make up arguments about all these guys in as many different directions as you want to. But I had heard then that that's who they liked, and that hasn't changed to this point here. As you evaluate these top four quarterbacks, how does Levis look to you as a long-term future possibility?
2: <laughs> I know this. the two quarterbacks that I would take at the top of the board. would be C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young then there's a drastic uh, difference between Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. Will Levis is a good athlete. He's not a great athlete. He's an inconsistent passer who has like bad tape from this final season, even though it was much better the year before. Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe you're saying his upside is Josh Allen, but he just as easily could be Taysom Hill. Uh, I don't like like I understand the fascination with us over, like, bigger, faster, stronger, super-arm talent, but uh, he's not a polished player. And he's not a day one where you drop him in and you can go and do a bunch of things and you're going to have a lot of success. Um, That's it. Like, I understand quarterbacks and how people push up quarterbacks when you need have a need. I just think you have to tread lightly when you're talking about Will Levis and Anthony Richardson because uh, – they are not polished commodities
1: when it comes to prospects. Uh, I kind of ask you this, and you answered it well a little bit earlier. Maybe I'll, I'll I'll change it up just a little bit because you had mentioned that you didn't think that this would you know change a lot of thoughts. This was more Lamar Jackson uh, to the Ravens right now. But will we see? I mean, should the Colts, for example, Bucky be a team out there that should? Have their interest peaked even more, given what you explained, given what you think he can be still moving forward, and also given the fact that Stroud and Young are going to go one and two, and the Colts at four are going to be left with either being in love with Levis since October, or going with a guy like Richardson uh, for the longer term future, or even more than that, if you like a defensive player on the board, and going peak Ballard And, you know, trading back and trying to get somebody like Hendon Hooker a little bit later on, what do you think should be the play moving forward for the Colts at that position?
2: In the AFC, if you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. Period. Pat Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Trevor Lawrence. uh, You have Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, like, Justin Herbert, if you don't have a quarterback that can go toe-to-toe with those guys in a shootout, you have no chance. And so you have to either look at the draft class and figure out, do the guys in the draft give me an opportunity to win a battle with one of the top six quarterbacks in the league who all happen to be on the AFC, or can I get an established player that gives me a chance to go toe-to-toe with those guys? That's where you're at. And so you're competing to win the Super Bowl. you got to look at the teams that you have to knock off to get there and All of those teams have A-level quarterbacks. And so the decision has to be, how can I narrow the gap to give myself a chance to knock off one of those aforementioned quarterbacks? Because if I don't do it, there's no way we'll ever represent the AFC to go to the Super Bowl.
1: Do you think that Lamar Jackson's played his final snap in Baltimore?
2: No, I think this gets messy, but then I think eventually the Baltimore Raiders acquiesce and give him what he wants because If he doesn't play, they don't have an opportunity to go get a quarterback either. There's not one that's available to them at 21 or 22 where they're picking, and there's not another quarterback on the open market that they can go win with. When they don't play with Lamar Jackson, their record is upside down. Right. As opposed to being 45 and 16. I think he ends up going back to Baltimore because I think cooler heads for Bill, they find a way to get in the room and work this out.
1: The Colts have as good an angle. Again, hypothetically, to go at this than any other team out there? You got you know number four right now maybe can do some different things. I know there's some other teams that maybe mm-hmm. uh, would have better uh, assets to throw that direction. Where do you think the Colts rank is, as far as if they did have interest being able to throw something out there to Baltimore?
2: Oh, I think they absolutely can do it. There are two things that they would need to do. One, if you can get past the fascination of having the number four overall pick That's easy. You give her the number four, you give her the first round next year. But then two would be, can you write the contract in a way that the Ravens can't match? Years ago when Steve Hutchinson went from the Seattle Seahawks to the Minnesota Vikings, they structured the contract in a way that the Seattle Seahawks couldn't match it. So can they creatively draw up a contract that the Baltimore Ravens absolutely cannot match, whether that's guarantees, whether that's front-loaded money, whatever that is. Can they be creative? Because ultimately, it's Jim Irsay's call. If Jim Ursay wants Lamar Jackson, Jim Ursay will find a way to make it happen.
1: See, I—that's always an outlier. The thing of it is, I—I I guess a little bit around here, Bucky. I don't know how to put this in in right terms because they've been through so much. I know this is a completely different direction. I'm not trying to compare, you know, Lamar Jackson uh, again to, to Matt Ryan or to Carson Wentz or, you know, Phillip Rivers or anything like that. It just seems like that maybe they had been down that path so much in the past three years that they've all, within that organization, including Jim Irsay, been resigned to say, all right, we're going to start right here with the quarterback. This is who we like, and there's the direction we're moving. And that's why I brought up to you, should this change a lot of the thought process within the past day, for example, in hours of what they had previously with where this Lamar Jackson storyline is going? Should that change that thought process with the Colts?
2: Uh, so what it does is the conversation that you're having is probably all over your airwaves all day. Right? Right. So I'm sure Mr. Ursa is driving around town. He has to hear the fodder, right?
1: Well, I, he has to, I feel you on that. You're making a guy right, feel good sitting right, here, Bucky. Thank right, you.
2: Right. 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 So he has to hear that. So now he has to then begin to ask the question. Okay. Val, what do you think? You know, so it creates the conversation and then maybe like, you know what, what do we think about this guy compared to the draft picks? Because, What you would like is the perfect world, right? The perfect storm was, okay, the Colts needed a quarterback. Andrew Luck is sitting there at number one. It matches up. What you don't want is we have a high pick, but the talent at the quarterback position doesn't add up to what the number four pick should be. And so then you reach, and the player that you bring in, who's expected to be a franchise player, the first day that everyone goes into the stadium to look at the quarterback, everyone is like, oh, no oh, guys, and then you're stuck with a young quarterback for four, maybe five years that you know is never going to be good enough to beat those guys that he talked about.
1: It's uh, Bucky Brooks of the NFL Network with us via the Andy Morad Automotive Group Hotline, the NFL Network Analysts Move the Sticks podcast along with Daniel Jeremiah. I want to give you some love because you've been fantastic in the conversation here. What are you guys doing here in the near future with the podcast?
2: Well, now that Lamar Jackson came out and did that, right before I have to do a mock draft,
1: you you got to cut a new one. Is what you're telling me? You You got to do a new one. You
2: know that. You know that blows up everything that we talk about. And so, yeah. So it's it's just mock draft day. It's just trying to figure out what we can talk about and stuff like that. But no, it's fun. Like the draft is fun. Uh, The draft has plenty of prospects that we'll talk about. Maybe not as much on the top end, but from picks 15 to 45 there are a lot of good players that can make plays and going to be solid contributors.
1: One final thing here. Do you believe in Hendon Hooker at the NFL level? Absolutely.
2: I do. I think he's going to be the sleeper. I think he's the guy that if you can get, as you talked about, top of the second round, uh, to me, his tape is better than Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And oh, by the way, they play in the same conference. So
0: <laughs> there is something else is a little
2: different about him than those other guys at the right price point. Yeah, you pull the trigger. The guy can
1: play awesome hey man you've been fantastic and i know you've done a lot of this on the fly with that news today we actually lined you up perfectly on this day with this news and i can't thank you enough bucky appreciate you
2: hey man thanks so much for having me on
1: life is so much more than a diagnosis it's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy all hits no skips The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, let us all come together as we're all owls again going into this weekend. He is the pride of Green County, the head coach of Florida Atlantic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. It is Dusty May. Hello, Dusty. How you doing, buddy? Good, John. How are you, man? Oh, I could not be more happy for you. I was absolutely thrilled. And I can tell you this, Dust, I had not been uh, that emotionally wound up about a basketball game in a long time. I was working right next door with my All Request music show as that game was being played. I had to shut her down for a little bit. I can't lie. I had to shut her down, play a long song, because I was so emotionally invested in that, man. That was special, and that was awesome to feel that way again.
3: (laughs) Well, I'm glad uh, we were able to do that for you, (laughs) Jack. That's our why. That's why we do it.
1: Thank you. I'm, I was hoping you were thinking about me um, in those uh, free throw shooting situations and when uh, you know Noel had the uh, ball there at the end with an opportunity to tie, so I was hoping you were thinking about me with that in mind
3: yeah we uh, th- that was a stressful situation when the ball's in his hands. We put five guards in and uh, just wanted to force a tough, difficult shot and fortunately he gave it up and, and never got it back knew did you ever you know, think he? A, he's a walk- He's a one player.
1: Did you ever think about fouling in that situation?
3: No, we typically don't, John, to be honest. And, and I, I know uh, for whatever reason, there's such a media slant towards the, the answer to winning that situation is foul. Um, we've usually defended over the course of time, depending on how good of a rebounding team we have. Um, especially we're switchable, we're quick. I think the, the, the data actually has, has tilted like 51% uh, towards not fouling to fouling, despite the, I guess, media personalities being about 99% to one.
1: Yeah, Well, they were certainly talking about it there. I, I, I thought that you got the best of both worlds, Dusty. I mean, you did. I mean, your guys came out, and you, you wanted clearly to get the ball out of his hands. And we were all shocked that he gave it up. But he he did his absolutely, I'm assuming, what you wanted defensively in that situation.
3: Absolutely. And they have to go full court And we thought, best case scenario, he shoots a 35-footer with, with guys draped all over him. Um, I, I think there's more risks than people realize with Fallon. If he goes into shooting motion and you foul him, then he gets three free, free throws. There's just a lot of a lot of scenarios, and and especially the fact that like we're not a really big team, so free throw rebounds sometimes can be difficult just because of uh, of sheer size.
1: Well, and I've always said this, Dusty. I actually talked to Matt Painter about this before the start of the tournament. There is nothing, I, I think, in basketball in general, on, on all levels, now, as an offensive rebound, kickout to a step-in three-pointer, which has become a layup to nearly everybody now playing basketball.
3: No question, John. We've actually we've actually done it several times where we even you know, I think that a lot of teams kind of under seven or eight seconds. Uh, you're going to miss on purpose for about nine or 10 seconds, a few times. I know Miami at home last year, we missed the, the free throw early, tipped it out, made a three, tied it up. Unfortunately, they went down and hit it, a buzzer beating, a uh, uh, game winning shot at the buzzer. But it was a, a similar situation where we were able to tip it out and, and, and almost force it into overtime. So, um, but like I said, I think that the analytics say it's actually 51 to 49 is in favor of not fouling, but, Um, It's weird how just the the perception is skewed so far in one direction.
1: Was there a point on the floor where you wanted uh, your guards to uh, come out and and double him? Is that what you Uh, told him?
3: No, we wanted to switch up aggressively because the roll guys had actually made a couple shot threes before that to put them in that position. The um, the, the wing cam had had made a pull-up three off the bounce, and then Masood is one of the better shooters in the country if he's got a speech set. So we just wanted to switch, press up, and force a tough shot Um, and and, uh, if he would have been able to squeeze one off, he would have been almost a half-court under duress. So, um, you know, it it would have been a prayer if he made one.
1: So Dusty Mays, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, that uh, national – semi-final is the first one being played down in Houston on Saturday they match up with San Diego State I want to get to that in in just a second too I um when the opposing head coach comes to the locker room afterwards and says you know under what is incredible emotional situations after just losing that game says what he says about your team how does that make you feel
3: well, to be honest, John, we've had a lot of coaches this year. After games, talk to, to the staff or to our team, and just and tell them that how together they are, how hard they play, how unselfish. You know, all the adjectives you want to be to describe your team. Uh, Rick Barnes has, has said something very similar in the handshake line after the, in, in the the Thursday night game. So, you know, he wanted to say it to our team. I've known Coach Tang for a long, long time, so we appreciated the kind words. that um, you know, we 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 got
1: that a lot this year because of how, of how our guys act. The one thing that I'm I'm spreading the word around here regarding the Owls, uh, you probably have have noticed a little bit. There are a lot more Owl fans than certainly there used to be, especially here. In, in central Indiana, because we're spreading the word. And I remember in our, our initial conversation when, you know, in the midst of that 20-game win streak back during the regular season, you talked about how your guys can handle themselves, um, you know, can police themselves, can, you know, can coach themselves to a degree. Um, you trust them in doing that. And, Dusty, honestly, in watching so many games, especially in some of these incredibly emotional tight situations, you can see that. Because they seem unflappable in, in terms of situations you get in. Like the other night when there could be a difference here or there, you know, In going to a Final Four, it seems like that your guys, either on the sideline or in the game, are cool, calm, and collected, just like their head coach.
3: Well, I, I, hopefully I, I've had something to do with it. But these guys, they've learned how to win. They have a lot of confidence and faith in each other. And because we've had this group together, we've been able to practice a lot more special situations and talk through more situations where if you have a new team, you're still working on terminology and in the basics, just to try to get to the point where you're in close games. I think just because we've been together so long, we know all of what we want to do. And now we can, we can be a little more advanced with having more press breakers and more zone offices and, and more things like that. And so you know, I'd I like to. I like to think that's a, a part of it, but also these guys are just really confident, and they believe, and they love to compete, so they're never scared of the moment.
1: It's uh, Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. Uh, are you, this is probably something Dusty you will realize once all this is is over. But have you realized it, to a degree how much of an effect you've had on? so many with with this run, with this team, this season, where you are right now, you know, in the state of Indiana and certainly locally where we grew up, has that been something you've been able to notice?
3: Not really. I've, I've noticed, well, it, now when our team, we walked through the airport, we landed in New York. We sent the team back on the charter after the, the Columbus, Ohio first two rounds, and we're in LaGuardia in New York, and everyone in the airport recognizes our guys, and that was at the, that's when we were in the Sweet 16, so I, I always enjoyed the, the living in south florida and, and being anonymous and that that's out the window now so, <laughs> so, so <laughs> yeah that's uh, i'm pretty I'm, I'm a homebody i'm pretty private i love coaching ball i love being around our guys and our families and then going home and, and just being uh dusty from green county but uh, that's all changed but i i'm sure later on it, it hit me but like I told Sophie, when you're in the eye of the storm and you're in it, you're only focused on what's next. There's not really time to reflect on anything. You're just trying to, to stay above water now.
1: Yeah, that's the, you've got so much going on. That's that's incredible. Like i give you a great example. It, they're having a watch party for you at Eastern Green in the gym on Saturday night. Come on. No, I blank uh, you not. That's, that's, they are. That's, that's a big time. I think it's awesome. Plus, I get a call from Mike Pittman and David Hayes and Robbie Hudson saying, you want to jump in and drive down to Houston with us? And I said, I don't know if I have enough bail money to do that.
3: (laughs) well, so, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see you down there then. It
1: sounds like you got a plan. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a plan. There's for sure. I, all right. Speaking of plans, that's a good segue. You have Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. Um, is this how much of this is? It has to be so difficult because it is such a quick turnaround to do this and to have success in doing this and i guess to a degree if you're somebody that goes over and i know that you do coaching wise absolutely everything is that quick turnaround been more difficult or has the fluidity of it all been something you felt you and your team have been able to adapt to in this tournament
3: well john i, I talk about it a lot the randomness of winning and we've been very fortunate that that matchups Our league, certain things have prepared us for quick turns. For example, um, we all know how how good Noel is as a player. Well, he's very similar to three or four guards we had faced, including Kendrick Davis from Memphis a week prior. So we usually just try to, 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 in order to chunk the information, we just refer back to other guys and other teams that we play because our league is big, strong, physical. UAB's a lot like Tennessee. So we were able to just really do almost mimic the UAB scattering port and mindset for Tennessee, and Memphis was was uh, Memphis and Kansas State were very similar, where they had a a four three who's a matchup nightmare and Keontae Johnson and DeAndre Williams from from Memphis, and then they both had dynamic guards that could go get thirty or forty points. Now Noel, he could score and facilitate better than all of them, but it's at least something that's comparable. So we do feel like our league, the situations, the timing all helped prepare us for those moments. And then we played Antoine Davis to get ready for the elite guards in our league. So um, we have been we have been lucky, I guess, uh, with, with some of the, the matchups and things like that.
1: All right, Dusty, what do you think about San Diego State in that game coming up on Saturday? What in, in, impressed you about what they did against Creighton and what they've done with Brian Dutcher and company to get where they are?
3: I think they're a lot like us where they, they find a way to win, and they're tough, they're strong, they're disciplined, they're well-schooled. They know who they are. They, they play in their strengths. All the things that you say about teams that usually win year in, year out, and that, that's who they are. They, they rarely have a down year. They're consistent with, with, with excellence. So it, a number of challenges. They're going to be extremely difficult to score on just because of how physical How well they guard the ball, and and they have a a two-time Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year anchoring anchoring their defense in the middle.
1: Yeah, it. um, I was impressed. With the way that they hung with it. Really, when you think about it, too, their path. its it, We kind of often think about it, at least in terms of questions, Dusty, that I ask on here and talk about is, you know, in terms of uh, what has been most recent. But you go back to, you know, the path to get here has, you know, I th- think your path has been incredibly impressive, and certainly so has theirs. You have to play tough games. You have signature moments to get to where you are right now, and, and certainly San Diego State has that.
3: Absolutely. They... Uh I mean, Kawhi Leonard, they've had so many guys. But for them to do with the Creighton, what they were able to do, hold those guys under 60 points. Yeah. I don't know if you watch Creighton much. They're, offensively, they're elite, and their coach is, is brilliant. Uh, so for them to do what they did to Creighton it lets us know that we need to bring our best game or or we'll be leaving before Monday night.
1: How's that dynamic working at all in South Florida? How far is Coral Gables from Boca Raton?
3: It's about 45 miles, so which so- it could be up to about – Seventeen hours.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, it's, wait a minute. It's forty-five Seven, miles.
1: Seventeen miles. That's like from Jasonville to Bloomfield. No, Is that no, no. like that?
3: No, it's forty-five miles. So it's, it's basically one side of Green County to the other. But it's, it, 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 it would take longer than, than driving probably from the from uh, the, the, the Louisville, the, the river Louisville to, uh, to I don't know Elkhart or South Bend. <laughs> it, it takes it takes a while to get down there, but it's not far in distance.
1: Have you uh, talked at all? With Jim Laranaga about two South Florida schools getting to the Final Four,
3: we have we exchanged texts and also exchanged some texts with Jim Crutchfield at Nova Southeastern. They just won a Division Two national championship, going undefeated, and they're about twenty minutes away from us. So it's uh, it's it's a great time to be uh, to be coaching hoops in South Florida.
1: Then normally it's just a great time to be down there in general, right? Hanging out because you get the great weather, and now you you know you you get basketball in into it as well. I. I um I'm kind of curious and this is something again we'll talk about when all this is is over but the effect that is it's great that the spotlight is on you and you're winning and you know all this is happening but the the effect that the world we live in in college basketball right now To where it's so easy to transfer, and I know you know you got your guys, and everybody is is on board with one another. Is that at all after the season going to be a worry? Because there's been much of a spotlight, and you get so much of a level of transfer portal poaching that is going on. Is that a major concern of yours as far as the future?
3: I don't want to say it's a major concern. It's always a concern. We, you know, every guy we've lost to the portal, we feel like we've been able to go out and replace him with someone uh, just as good, if not better. So, we're, you know, we have a lot of confidence in what we do and how we do it. And it may not continue to be true, but we feel like that right now. But we also feel like we provide a great uh, environment, a uh, platform for our guys to, to achieve their goals and dreams. So, uh, you know, we are worried about it, but it's not something that, that keeps me up at night. You know, if, if a guy does want to leave, for, for greener pastures, and then, and, you know, and I'll give them a hug and tell them I'll help them with whatever's next and, and support them. We had a couple guys leave last year because they wanted to play more, and uh, we turned their games on in our conference rooms on the road, and our, our players are cheering for them and, and everything that goes with it. So, you know, it's, it's not life or death. You know, these guys sometimes do things that they think are best for them. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But I do think our guys, are they know exactly what they're going to get here and what kind of environment's going to be? So we have a lot to sell to our own guys.
1: To somebody that doesn't know how this works, do you think your guys are getting recruited up by others right now?
3: John, I would say there's there's players on every roster at every level, Division One, Division Two, that are being recruited in some way, shape, or form by someone else. It's and it's not even the other schools at times. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But it, it might be a third party. He's trying to put a kid in the portal so he can get a commission on an NIL deal or whatever the case. There's, there's all types of reasons. Or it's a, it's a high major player that's not playing a lot and he's got low and mid major coaches reaching out to his people saying, hey, he'll play 35 minutes a game here. So it, it is what it is. And if, if that's what a player wants to do, then that's his right. And, and you, you got to keep it moving. you got to move on. I mean, it, it, there's no point in sitting and complaining about all this stuff. It is what it is. We either adapt or we die. And uh you know you like I said, you got to put your guys in the best situation for them and you, and just trust that it's going to work out.
1: What is this financially doing for f a u and your basketball program?
3: It's getting better uh, exponentially better. <laughs> it's been great for the amount of people that's gotten involved for what it's doing for our university as a whole athletic department, especially our program.
1: Is this some... this, was the, this
3: was the moment we needed, John? This, this, we've only been a basketball program since the late '80s. We're we're not a 150-year-old land Grant University. We're a new a new school, so we've never had a moment that would captivate a community, an audience, and and now we have.
1: Did you think that? Listen, you and I have talked both privately and on this show about what you thought about this group, but. Is this what we're seeing right now? Is this what you had in mind the entire time? Did you think that this ultimately was a reachable goal for you and this group?
3: Never thought about this. Just wanted to to win our league, put ourselves in the best position possible to make the NCAA tournament, and then you get in, and uh, you try to make a run at it. There's no point in in thinking about our goal to win five games or six games in a tournament. Let's get there. Let's make some noise. And and, – see what happens. There's just too many different scenarios of injuries and breaks and whatnot. But I know this, I'm so impressed with our guys, how they just showed up and not been phased one bit by the pressure or the spotlight or the expectations. They just, they love to compete and lay it on the line and trust that that's going to be enough. And, and as our record shows, it usually
1: is. Hey, you're right about that. And you could tell. That's why I said a little bit earlier. With what you explained, how your team is and the makeup of your team, you have seen it. People have seen it. What you explained to people around here, they've seen it, especially when they've been fully paying attention in the past couple of weeks. Man, that's that's some special stuff right there, Dusty.
3: Oh, John, they, they these guys have it, man. They've got that special sauce, and uh, they believe it. They believe it.
1: So Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic, are you allowing yourself at all to soak this up and enjoy it? Or is it just from one interview to the next, preparing your team from one situation to the next year, but do you get a chance to, to soak it up at all?
3: No, not at all. It's pretty cool meeting all the people that I've been on Jim Rome show three times and I remember growing up, you you watched The Jungle Man. That guy is dynamic <laughs> as, as a media personality is. So it's been. I was on Rich Eisen this morning, and and just to just to be on all these guys. You grew up watching SportsCenter, yeah. and have people reaching out on, through Twitter and Instagram that I idolize. You know, Bill Self asked me if I want to go to dinner this week. So, you know, I think he's probably the best in the game when it comes to coaching ball. So it's been really cool because it's opened up new doors and avenues for our staff and our program to learn from more people and, and get access to, to those who do this thing at a high level. So that's been the coolest part for me.
1: So w- back when you're playing little league at Eastern and, and you uh, pissed and moaned about my, Biddy stri- Biddy Biddy Biddy. Yeah, about my strike, about oh, my strike zone, like a- you pissed and moaned about my strike zone and I'm, you know, a college freshman, and you did you ever imagine that you and I would be on a radio show talking about you coaching it up in the Final Four? I'm sure that's something you thought about then, right, when you're complaining about well, my I, strike zone?
3: Well, if I remember correctly, it wasn't just the strike zone. It was the fact that you had a, a foot-long hot dog in one hand and a big red in the other trying to, <laughs> trying to umpire a game.
1: <laughs> Wait a minute. I don't know if I represent that well. No, seriously, you're right about that. <laughs> You're right about that. I, I I, think about that, and I think about all that morning basketball, you know, we did with, yeah. with Mark Barnheiser and, you know, Reed and and Hardesty and, the, you know, the guys in, in your class as well. I, I see bre- people breaking out old Hoosier basketball magazines with, you know, your— your mugshot looking picture in there that you took before that, and uh, you know, Oakland City stuff and all that. It, um, I'm telling you what, it makes those moments, I think, extra special to the level cool. in which you've reached right now, does it not?
3: Well, hopefully, they're not breaking out any box scores, John. My numbers weren't great <laughs> a lot of nice, so. no, but it's really cool. I just think back and how much. Uh, being a, growing up in, in Green County in the bloomington area, and, and obviously Coach Barnheiser in, in influence on all of us, how much we love the game, love to compete, our work ethic was formed through hoops uh, in our families, obviously, but yeah, just so many things just really really proud to, to grow up in an environment where there was so much energy and intense and excitement for this game and, and no doubt uh, you know I've I tried to bring that to South Florida you know just how important the game is.
1: Uh, you take bits and pieces away from everywhere you've been, whether it was USC or Eastern Michigan or Murray or UAB or, or Louisiana Tech. I mean, it's a special relationship. And I, I'm assuming for you, uh, you'll get a chance to think about that again when this is, is all over. But, man, it is. It's a part of the journey that makes it even extra special yeah. to where you are right now, isn't it?
3: Yeah, John. And, and I guess the the one uh, part that I can really sit back and, and reflect on is, is watching your guys cut down the net and seeing how happy they are for each other, success for your, your players, and then also being able to share it with your wife and kids where if it wasn't for Anna, there's no way I would been able to even, even support myself in, in my entry-level coaching positions that I had. She supported me, uh, paid the rent, and, and uh, always worked full-time raising the boys. So uh, very, And then also, you know, we upper our three kids, moved schools, daycare centers, jobs, everything that goes with it. I can chase my dream and now for them to be able to experience this and have the level of pride they do in our program has been really cool for me because, you know, we we dragged we drag them around uh, a lot and, and uproot them in their lives. So very, very, those are probably the coolest moments, just watching our guys and, and my family, my mom and everybody just enjoy those moments.
1: I also will say this because I'm paying attention to what's going on back when we grew up. I mean, you talk about bringing everybody together, not just where we went to, to school at Eastern, but you know, in and around, as you mentioned, Bloomington and Greene County, watching everybody come together and have that common sports bond with you and your success. I, I think that is really cool, man. I do.
3: Yeah, no question. That's, that's what sports does, John. It's, it can bring a lot of people together from all different backgrounds all over the world. So this group we have, they're they're so special. They've been able to do that uh, with with groups all over the country.
1: I was on the air on Saturday night, as I mentioned earlier. My mom called me like five different times in the second half. She called me once to tell me she saw Joni cheering. uh, And then (laughs) I said, yeah, no, it's right here. I'm working right here. It's right here. Um, Here it is. Uh, She told me (laughs) she talked. Dustin but this is the best part man so when you guys are playing Tennessee I'm watching and I see Dustin Dustin Hayes sitting there with his hat on and literally he was like bush hogging next to my mom's house a day before (laughs) And then the next day he's sitting, you know, right there close to you at Madison Square Garden watching your team beat Tennessee. That, that was surreal to me right there. I I called him last night and I said, wait a minute, you were just bush hogging like, you know, 48 hours or so ago. And it's amazing this run. And you mentioned Jim Rome and being on these national shows. Anybody else reach out to you that um, you thought was pretty cool?
3: Yeah, Brad Stevens has been a great sounding board, obviously being through this process. Um, Doug Lemov, who's an author that I, I read all of his books and, and and really studied him, he he's an educator who actually graduated from from he got his master's from IU. So there's been a lot of people like that, and then obviously Coach Knight's family, Pat and Tim, have reached out and people like that. So it, it's it's been pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is. It's uh, Dusty May, the head coach of Florida Atlantic. As I mentioned, we are all owls as they take on San Diego State. That is the first of two national semifinals down in Houston coming up on Saturday. So, what do you think about this opportunity I have? So, it's Mike Pittman, it's Robbie Hudson, and it's David Hayes, and it's like thirteen hour drive. You think I got it in me here for this? Yeah, you got to live dangerously. Jump in. Jeez, I don't know, Houston, man. Houston. I don't know. I've been talked into this stuff before, and we all get in trouble, everybody but David Hayes. That's what happens. He finds a way out, he's slippery. <laughs> he's slippery. Hey, my best of the family, we're really proud of you, brother. You know that. Thanks. And thanks, John. Uh, go out there and get you some on uh, Saturday night, and uh, we'll talk when all this is over. We'll talk at length a little bit more about how awesome this has been, but uh, really proud of you. Congratulations, really
3: man. Yeah, thanks. thanks for having me on.
1: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline Morning Show co-host along with Kevin Bowen. This is Jake Query who joins us now. Do you have a little tutoring going on this afternoon? I did.
0: Thanks for being uh Flexible there, John. I apologize for delaying you for an hour, but yeah, a little uh, month left of the math class from hell, and then I'm done. So
1: done and, and done. That's right.
0: Not that I'm ca- now. I don't understand this. Yeah, the final is May third, and commencement is May tenth. Yeah. Now that seems like an awfully quick turnaround. If I bomb the final, do they say you know what? We've already gotten your deposit on your cap and gown, but you, you flunked the final, so no go. Or is this just me being old and having figured out what I would not have realized when I was like 21?
1: I, um, Yeah, I I wouldn't like the quick turnaround because I I want, I probably want a little cushion effect in case something goes haywire, maybe a little makeup time, right? (laughs) Yeah, you think? (laughs) You think? A bit of a tightrope you got right there. But listen, I give you full credit. I wouldn't be, there is no way in the world I want to open another book in this capacity. So, full credit for you right there.
0: Well, actually, John, and I appreciate that. um, But just to put a bow tie on it, I guess, I think you know this, but others may not. Uh, you actually cracked that door open for me because it was just before I started on the morning show, I was on with you, and we were talking IU football, and you, you referenced me as an IU graduate, which I understand, I mean, and I said, well, I didn't graduate from there. I went to school there, but I never graduated because I left early. Like I think I had 19 hours left, and it was then that the Indiana Department for Higher Education reached out to me and said, look, there are a lot of people in your situation, and we'd like to get the word out that you can always finish. And so that's when I contemplated it and said, all right, let's do it. And, um, you know, it's not like I've been sitting there taking 20-hour semesters. I lost some hours in the, in the transfer over and switching it around and all that. Not transfer over, you know what I mean, over 30 years. So um, so anyway, it's been – I've enjoyed it. I haven't necessarily enjoyed the math, but I do like my tutor a great deal. And, um, you know, it keeps me awake in the afternoon. So I guess that's good.
1: So Jay Query with us. I just talked to Dusty May, Florida Atlantic's head coach they're going to the final four you got miami san diego state and uconn also in this has this tournament been as interesting as usual more interesting or less interesting considering the teams that we're looking at in houston this weekend
0: a really good question I, i think it's more interesting because of what it represents but perhaps less interesting to the outside viewer that is used to seeing the kansas kentucky carolina you know duke names but I think it's more interesting because it represents kind of a shift in college basketball Now, how permanent that remains or how permanent that is remains to be seen. But, you know, when you look at Florida, you know, Florida Atlantic, obviously, and you always have teams like that, you know, that's not unusual. I mean, you saw Wichita state breakthrough. Butler certainly comes to mind, but a a team like Miami, you know, that that has always been a decent program there at a big, a big conference, but, to use the NIL money to go out to get transfers, to, to piece things together. I think we're going to see more of that, John. I really do. I mean, I, you know, in NCAA basketball now, it's kind of become free agency. I don't think there's any secret about that. Um, so I think this represents a potential shift. Now, maybe next year, the Final Four is, you know, Kansas, North Carolina, Kentucky, and Duke. <laughs> but, But I do think in that aspect, the curveballs that have come with it and some of the big boys getting bounced is pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I, I do. And especially because I, I obviously got one that's, that's certainly more interesting than the others. But yeah, I don't mind it when it's like this either. And You're right. I I mean, this is a combination, right, of a a COVID extra season. This is a combination of, you know, NIL. There's a lot that has ultimately affected this. Plus, you know, kind of the same old thing that we've known for a while now, just how a high level of guard play, as we've seen across the board with these four remaining teams, has been the most important aspect of the makeup of a team.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it's fitting that, to your point, I mean, the COVID year, the transfers, all that, in guards, 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 right? So it's fitting that Miami is in there because it is kind of, depending on which side of the coin you're on, the perfect or imperfect storm for it to be this. You know, you can't say unprecedented out of whack because back when Butler made it 2011, you had a higher accumulation of seeds in there. But, John, look, I agree with you. And, and this was the problem lack of a better word for Purdue and Indiana this year, or the challenge they were going to face. Both of them were really good. And both of them had outstanding college basketball players, but they were anchored down low. And if you look at the teams that are left now, Connecticut obviously has a really good big man, but fast, furious, hectic pace guards that play under control, despite looking like they're not under control. I mean, that's, that's where we're headed now, right? I mean, San Diego State can guard the heck out of you. but And all those teams are quick. But I just think the one thing, you know, college basketball guards, man, it's like cornerbacks in the NFL. Your team cannot have enough of them. If you, if you got five, you might as well have ten. That's just the way it goes.
1: Yeah, and that's you – know, Florida Atlantic has a ton of guards, and they go deep. And, you know, that's one of the things that we'll talk about after this season because now these guys all get under the spotlight, and you wonder, you know, how many of these guys are going to to get poached or recruited out with, a, a you know, NIL money that maybe FAU is not going to be able to match because they've made a lot of money, and they have grown, you know, that – you know The basketball program, they have grown that financially, but it is still, uh, compared to what others have to offer, that's still going to be difficult. We'll see if uh, there's any poaching going on at the end of this year from what is a deep team, most of which is coming back next year.
0: Yeah, I mean, isn't that funny? I mean, to think honestly that, you know, typically with the transfer stuff, it's like, hey, you're getting a guard out of Towson or you know, East Tennessee or things like that, You know, a guy that averaged 24 a game in and, and the, the Sun Belt. And now all of a sudden to think that – and so, I mean, that, that goes along with what I'm about to say. But to think that the teams that, that you want to poach because they're at championship level are non-Power Fives, I mean, it used to be the other way around. I, listen, the thing that I think is really fascinating – And I know that it makes me old by saying this, but that I also have hesitation with is, are we heading into that that area of just free agency college basketball where a guy has four years of eligibility and plays at four different schools? Uh, I mean, and and I've wondered about this, John. Let me me throw this one at you. I have no idea how this works. If you play three years at, uh, we'll just say, for lack of a better phrase, uh, you know, Ohio State. So if you play three years at Ohio State and you've got a year of eligibility left, and you go ahead and announce your transferring, and you play your last year at Princeton, do you need a degree from Princeton? Like, how awesome would that be? That, that can't be, academically speaking, that can't be the case, right? Well,
1: you trans, I mean, do you transfer your, your credits to try to get a degree from Princeton? Do you further your degree that you get from Ohio State at Princeton? I, I yeah, guess yeah. I'd have to know the scenario.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I would assume that that even with athletics, you know, even with athletics being in play, you would have to have a certain percentage of your hours be from Princeton and you wouldn't be eligible, I would think. But I don't know. Otherwise, man, (laughs) otherwise, Princeton, Stanford, Duke, and Northwestern better load up in the transfer portal, right? Like Vanderbilt. All of a sudden, Vanderbilt's got seven fifth-year seniors that are all going to graduate from Vanderbilt that started like somewhere at
1: Ohio U hell yeah if you watch the, the, the there's a transfer portal report where you can see and it's it's pretty close to to up to the minute and it, it's funny I looked at it last week and at one point in an hour during the day it it, it had a transfer reported 5 minutes prior 15 minutes prior 25 minutes prior I mean it was it was, it was like just a, a endless wheel of announcements of those entering the transfer portal. It was amazing <laughs> it to like, see.
0: It's like watching Plinko. Yeah, it's, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. E- exactly. Like, where a guy's going is like watching his Plinko board.
1: Hey, I think the uh, Lamar Jackson stuff kind of happened in social media while you guys were on today. Do you think that changes the dynamic around here? Of interest and Chris Ballard was asked that question today and you know kind of does what Chris Ballard does he says you know you always have to look but you know it um, you, know, you have to see and check and if it's doable or whatever but do you think what Lamar Jackson said obviously to enhance his situation uh, with with Baltimore and kind of you know throw the ball back at them a little bit. Do you think that also enhances an opportunity for the Colts, or you believe that it's still very much so against all odds where they could get somebody like that?
0: Uh, here's the thing: against all odds, you know I, I don't know. But my thought process in this, I would think this would be Chris Ballard's process. Thought process. My thought process would somewhat be. And this is the way I always analyze it, John. Look at Baltimore. Baltimore was good, and I know that Lamar Jackson was hurt, and that roster still was able to get them in position to, to get into the playoffs, even though Lamar Jackson didn't play because he was hurt. Is Baltimore's roster superior to Indianapolis's? Probably, based on that. If Lamar Jackson was healthy, was Baltimore a Super Bowl contender? I don't even know that you would say they would. And so if they have a superior supporting cast and you put Lamar Jackson into that superior supporting cast and they still aren't a Super Bowl contender, then why would Indianapolis be by adding Lamar Jackson? And that's after you have to give up assets to acquire him and commit yourself financially in an area that we know that Chris Ballard doesn't necessarily want to do by, certainly, Jim Irsay doesn't to committing guaranteed, long term, big time money. I would. I, I think he, he's a he's a he is undoubtedly an intriguing talent, but I don't know that they necessarily go out of their way to try to acquire him.
1: Well, and listen, I don't expect that whatsoever. But I will say this: there are there are people out there, and I don't blame them, who have been resigned to the fact that they're going to draft and then, you know, rebuild to a degree with that drafted quarterback that would much rather have somebody that's a former MVP, even coming in, you know, not finishing out the past two seasons with that possibility of what he can do with their new head coach that had worked with, you know, somebody at least in the, the vicinity, the ballpark of level of talent, of Lamar Jackson, and it would give a level of interest to, right now, people that I mentioned that are kind of resigned to a rebuild and may not find entering 2023 all that interesting. That would change the dynamic without question right there. And, and the other part about it is I'm not suggesting this is going to happen at all. I still think that they're going to draft Will Levis, and a lot of people disagree with that, and that's okay. But to me, that that is something that changes everything. Yeah, you know, maybe not making them a you know, longer into the postseason contender, but with within the AFC South, and certainly starting with a level of interest around here, I I don't think they could do anything in the draft right now that can match it.
0: Well, I will tell you this: I, I am in total agreement with you that I think Will Levis is the guy that most intrigues them, and until I hear differently and I want to make clear I'm not sitting here saying that anybody within the organization has told me this that that would be a false statement but I but people that I think are pretty dialed in have indicated to me that it is their belief that will Levis is the guy that they are honing in on now Chris Ballard may be driving home right now thinking this guy has no idea what he's talking about that, that's there maybe some truth to that. I don't know that anybody knows right now exactly what Chris Ballard's thinking, but John, I truly believe that they are going to draft a quarterback at four. I don't think they want to give up assets and then let Gardner Minshew take some reps and tutor along that quarterback and see where it falls and let the thing play out organically. I I do. I just don't think, I think, let me ask you this, John. Don't you believe that at their core, Jim Mersey and Chris Ballard are aware that this team is not a quarterback this year away from competing. They have to know that, right? They have to know that the, re- that the best course of action for them is to basically just say, you know what, we've got to just go ahead, bite the bullet, finally take a quarterback to groom and take our chances Starting in three years for a three to seven year window.
1: I, I will tell don't you this
0: you think deep
1: down they have to think that. Yeah, I, I I think that that if if it was reasonable, and I just don't think it's reasonable because I think that he goes back to Baltimore in a capacity, and I think all this conversation we're having is probably going to be just yeah, just I, lost I conversation. But I, I think if there would be a scenario that Jim Irsay felt that they could reasonably bring. Lamar Jackson here, I think he would be all for it because what outweighs all else in terms of the Colts owner is all these broken promises that he has on the table. I don't think really he wants to have to go through another prolonged losing season. If there was a way to quick fix this in the now and then to get longer-term results from a guy like Lamar Jackson on this team at quarterback, I think he would be all for it. I just don't view it, as a, as we sit here and talk about it, Jake, right now, reasonable.
0: No disagreement, and I realize that, like it's probably in the best interest of radio for us to disagree on this, but I I, I can't in this case. I mean, I agree with you. You know, I, I just think, look, I think Lamar Jackson is a tremendous talent. I I, I mean, I don't think, I think anybody'd be a fool to, to see him anything other than that. And truth be told, I think his acumen as a passing quarterback has probably been not even properly looked at because of the fact that he is so dynamic with his legs. However, you, you know the the odds are that he is going to have some injury issues moving forward. No knock on him at all. Just that's the reality of the National Football League, especially when it's already shown a precedent for it. And I, I do think he's in the end. Do I think Baltimore is he, is he doing a power play here? Maybe, and maybe he he ends up staying in Baltimore. I don't think they would trade him to the AFC. Quite frankly, I mean, if they're gonna that's the other thing we haven't talked about. I yeah. mean, if, if he's if he's requesting a trade, fine. Then if you're Baltimore, don't you send him to – I, I well, don't know who it would be in the NFC, but I – I just don't – yeah, way. I don't
1: I don't look at this as – it's great for sports talk conversations we're having, as you'll have tomorrow morning. I just don't think uh, there's much of a reasonable circumstance to believe that in actuality that could happen. Hey, big fella, I got to run here, but uh, I appreciate you. We'll do it again next week, and your pal – Derek Schultz is in for me coming up tomorrow, so thank him for that too.
0: All right, will do, John. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being flexible today.